Hello and welcome to Is This Room Free? My name is Martin Drake and I'm an ex-HR professional who is now the founder and managing director of Hire People, a recruitment business that is raising the standards in the way recruitment agencies operate. In this podcast, I will be talking to HR professionals and listening to the stories of their careers. I will be finding out about the journeys they have taken and what they've learned along the way. The purpose is to help others in the profession identify and understand the various paths available and take inspiration from my guest speakers. Whether you are someone who is looking to get that first step on the HR career ladder or an aspiring HR director, I hope you get value from my conversations. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hi everyone. I am really excited for this week's guest as I have Maxine Blake joining me. Maxine is someone who has been operating at the senior HR level for a number of years now, having originally come from an operations background in the hospitality industry. Maxine is a great example of someone who has used the ops experience and broader understanding of things like sales, finance, marketing to make her a very rounded, commercially astute HR professional. She's also someone who wasn't highly academic at school, but has more than made up for that in later life as she holds a bachelor's degree, an MBA and a HR master's. Trust me, this really isn't an episode to be missed. So I hope you all enjoy listening. Hi everyone, thank you very much for joining me on Is This Room Free? Um, This week I have somebody that I've known for years now and um, I'm going to embarrass her but I hold her in extremely high regard I think she's absolutely amazing Um, so I'm super super excited about this conversation because I know how much insight and value we're going to well I'm hoping it's probably be a pile of I'm not gonna swear. Um now we'll just we'll just ramble on about nonsense. Um but no, I'm sure there's gonna be absolutely loads of insights that people will be able to take away from this because you're if we could suck out all of that knowledge from your brain, it would help a lot of people. So I'm gonna pass over. Do you want to introduce yourself, Max? Okay. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, my name's Maxine Blake. Uh, Max, I'm more than happy with. Uh, and I'm uh, currently a HR business partner with Lancashire Council, uh, but I've had quite a wide and varied career, um, uh, which I've no doubt we're going to go into over the next few minutes. Um, so hello and looking forward to it. Good. We can't kind of define you as a role, really. So most people I can introduce as um, HR advisor, HR business partner, head of HR. I think the only way to kind of define you is senior HR professional because you're you kind of morph through a number of different roles really you're you're sitting in the kind of the senior BP space but you've also done the the head of HR mm-hmm. role you've kind of stepped up into yeah. the HR leader position as well so it's kind of I think you just sit around that that kind of top tier space without having a definitive job title I guess yes uh, and I think that's what I've really enjoyed and in some ways um, has met, helped make me successful is rather than being defined by a specific job role or a specific title or this is the level I want to be at. Um, I'm really fortunate that I, I honestly <laughs> have loved all aspects of HR that I've been involved with. I don't think there's been any area that I've either not been involved with or that I've um, I've not enjoyed. It was a, a question somebody posed to me recently where they said, you know, which are the more challenging areas, which areas don't you like? Um, and there hasn't been any. So what I've been fortunate is being able to look at different roles and go, actually, whether it is a head of HR role, senior HRBP, HRBP role, then be able to go, actually, what am I going to learn from it? What can I bring to the role? How can I be successful in it? What can I deliver for an organisation? Now, if that happens to be as a head of HR, fantastic. If that's a senior HRBP or HRBP role, then brilliant. But so long as I have something to gain and I have something to offer and I can make a difference to an organisation, then, yeah, it's not all about the role. It's about what you love and what you're passionate about. I think we've probably known each other maybe about three years or something. Mm -hmm. And I would probably say if I look back from kind of first meeting you and seeing kind of the journey that you've been on over the last three years, I would probably say that you have come from more of a an ER specialist type um, profile, because I think that's a massive strength of yours, to kind of a, a troubleshooter, change management, um, 
type person now. I think you've you've kind of, I think you've always had those skills and that knowledge. You maybe just weren't in the right um, environments where mm. you were able to use your full armory. Um, yes. And I think in the last few years, the different roles that you've had, I think you've kind of, the shackles have come off you a little bit mm. and allowed you, people have kind of given you an opportunity to, um, it sounds corny and a bit cliche, but almost spread your wings a little bit. And actually they've gone, mm. wow, Jesus, you can do all that as well. Um, and then you just kind of like, like a hoover, you're just going around sucking up more and more of these kind <laughs> yeah. of like issues that go on and yeah. fixing them. And people are like, wow just like look at max go well it's literally it's and it's almost kind of the career path which i know we're going to go through but from going from uh, being a manager and being a leader and doing all that leadership from, from a, an operational perspective so literally with the hr responsibilities of being a manager in there but without specifically focusing on there to then gosh getting dropped in kind of going into the L&D world and rising fairly rapidly in there uh, winning some awards and some really good stuff that was part of that to then going right okay I know I can do L&D then what do I do next and then kind of it's just ended up where heading up internal communication employee engagement which then led on to doing more employee relations which then led on to TUPI which then led on to relocations which then led on to change management and therefore as it's gone on like you said it is a way a bit like a hoover where there's been so many different things that have come in that one of the things that I love and that I'd always encourage everyone to do is to get as much experience as many different diverse areas as you can within HR just because what it does mean is as you progress and become more senior then actually you can go for those more senior roles where you have that responsibility and leadership because you have done those different jobs you have a level of expertise in those different areas so although um, I'd never turn around to say I'm an expert in any specific area but because I've touched on so many of them does mean that certainly from a HR leadership perspective, then it's a great position to be in because I can go, this is how we build recruitment. This is how we build internal communications. This is how we do engagement. This is how we do L&D. This is apprenticeships. Um, so it's been really good, but it's been varied. And that's what I've, yeah. that's what I've enjoyed. So I much. think not, it, it's not really a typical kind of route that you go to, yeah. to kind of get to an MD or a CEO type level. Mm. Um and it tends to be kind of like the, the 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 sales director or the finance director who ends up kind of in that position. But I think out of you know a lot of people that I meet, I think you're certainly someone who I could, if there was any opportunity for it, I could definitely see you moving into that kind of MD broader role, just because you your your commercial knowledge and understanding. Yes, your specialism is kind of people in HR, but I think you you could easily you know hold your own with a with a director of any other function mm-hmm. and talk confidently and un- you, you understand kind of the what they're talking about and the, what's going on in their world and being able to apply that it just happens that I think if you'd have gone into finance you'd have probably ended up being a mm-hmm. finance director if you'd have gone into staying ops you'd have been an ops director you know I can just see you wherever you'd have landed you would have risen to the top of that um and that's why I think I could probably see you in like an MD role it just I don't know why HR people just don't don't have that reason no and it's it's like a closed door yeah and I think it and I think sometimes that is down to how it's perceived and how organizations perceive people it'd be Um, nice if it changes because I think if you if you actually look at it almost pragmatically Actually, you could argue one of the best people for that role is, a, a, you know, a commercially minded HR person because that's the, the people function that, that usually drives the business is the people that drive the business. But it's that commerciality which um, 100% makes the difference. And that's not decrying anybody. Um, and I'm always really clear, really clear with my teams and people that I work with and people I've worked for and people that work for me is that um, if you've always been HR, or if you've come up via HR admin route, um, that doesn't take anything away. But the absolute advantage through my career is from having that operations background. And therefore, 
um, you know, before I could read HR stats, I could read P&Ls. I yeah. could put together a broadsheet uh, and a balance sheet. And it was a fact of having that business management experience. So if I've managed businesses, um, I think the biggest one that I've had was 8.1 million, which was a group of businesses and area manager. Um, then having that understanding of the commerciality of a business, what can affect a business from the marketing, the business, the people side of it, obviously, but kind of the sales, about driving sales, all of those things is the thing that's probably made the biggest difference and kind of and if I think about the organization I've worked with then probably the thing that they have appreciated most is that commerciality so rather than just going talking people uh, uh, then being able to kind of go actually the end of the day it's the bottom line that's important now people you know there's lots of things we can do with people throughout that and drive and support and encourage etc that whole employee life cycle but at the end of the day if the business isn't making profit then there is no hr because there is no people yeah. um and again i think that's been and, and again just from uh, that's easily probably been the biggest difference for me so again if you're working in hr go do some ops <laughs> go get some operations management experience and some business experience uh, if you have the opportunity to or get more involved Involved with it in the business that you work in, uh, because one of the best ones, I, you will not be able to go to a sales director and say, "Can you explain more about sales and how that drives the business?" I've never met one who will not happily sit down and speak to you, probably for all afternoon, about how sales is the driver of the business. But that can that understanding of, yes, people are the main element of the business but actually if you don't understand the bottom line and the impact that both from a people organization and sales make then there is no business so it doesn't make any difference and it's so ironic that i meet so many people or so many people come to me for help who come from an ops background who wanting to get into hr and say i you know my profile i'm discriminated against because i'm because i'm ops um so although I've I've been responsible for disciplinaries, um, recruitment in my team, you know all of the all of the HR activities, because they have come from a an operational background or a retail management background rather than through an orthodox HR background, it's very very difficult for them to make that transition over. And the irony is actually. There's so much more knowledge that they can bring over than than having only ever worked in in HR and, and the way up because they have walked in the shoes of the stakeholders that they're trying to serve. Absolutely. Yeah. And it took me three years. So um, again, my background and my first background uh, was all hospitality, which is always an industry that I will love uh, and will always be my first love. Um, but trying to then, I've done 15 years in hospitality. So then trying to make that jump out of hospitality and even as a multi-site retailer, which I was by the end of it, trying to make that movement into HR was just brick wall against brick wall against brick wall. And then also it wasn't even just moving to HR, but because I'd got such a long career in hospitality, they said, you therefore you can't do anything but hospitality. Yeah. Now, the whole point is you have all the transitional skills. There's all the skills that you can take from one area to another. But the reason why I think so many people coming out of retail struggle to get into HR is because quite often you will have people, certainly at that middle management level, which is who they would likely be reporting into, who are from a pure HR background. Yeah. yeah. So may not potentially have got to up to the HR head of HR, HR director level, because that wouldn't be who you'd be interviewed with for your first role, um, uh, but have certainly come from who are that middle management heart who are probably pure HR. So therefore, they probably won't see the value um, of everything that you've done. Um, and again, you know, my foot in the door into HR was because I'd ended up doing a lot of learning development um, as a retail manager and therefore, um, and then being multi-site learning development as well. And therefore, that was my piggyback in is through learning development and then from there, move over into a HR role. Well, let's, let's jump back into that. So to set the scene for people here, um, Max has... A Bachelor of Science in Applied Chemistry. Um, then you've got an MBA, and then you went and did your Masters in Human Resource Management as well. So yeah. you're you are a sponge of knowledge, essentially. Um, so not to go through kind of your early career, because I want to get up to more of the recent stuff with you, because that's where I think we'll be able to get so much of the the inside knowledge. But there is a there is a massive relevancy of where you came from that we've just kind of spoken about getting into HR that, um, you know, I get, I'm getting a lot more messages right now from people um, saying, 
who are in a, a non-HR background wanting to make that transition and they're actually finding this podcast really, really useful. Um hearing other people's stories, how they how they've done it. And and you are one. You didn't come from a, a, a traditional HR background. So you kind of alluded to it then. So you were you were in the hospitality sector, you were in a managerial role, you had the people management responsibility, you then started to enjoy the training aspects. Mm-hmm got into that more into L and D. Um so how I guess why did you transition more over into the train and the L and D? And then how did you then make that move over into more orthodox HR if you want to call it that or just getting into HR? Well I think from the hospitality um I've always um I've always had a high drive and I'm always passionate, as you know, uh, about whatever I, I tend to do. Um, don't You're laugh. Definitely you know. <laughs> I definitely say that. You, um, uh, you, you all yeah. are nothing. I, I it that. is. It is. It's one or the other. So if, if I think kind of um, the piece for me is when I was, was working and kind of being business manager, pubs, restaurants and nightclubs, et cetera, um, I aim to be the best. And therefore, um, whether that started off very much from a sales perspective and that bottom line um, and therefore always made sure um, and always turned around a lot, even started turning around businesses then from those that were not profit making to those that were profit making. And again, a lot of that was about people and engagement, which we'll discuss later on. Um, But if I turn around think is, so by becoming the best, um, I then also went in for lots of awards. And then I also looked at all the information and around business and around knowledge and just sucked up everywhere that I could from, you know, things that there wasn't a massive amount online in all honesty way back then, but there was, uh, there was things online, there was books, there was journals, there was magazines, there was articles um, and looking at best practice. So, you know, going finding the best person for whatever the business I wanted to develop and going, what have they done that I can replicate? So what are the bits, if I can cherry pick, which is basically what I did is looked at what everyone else was doing to then cherry pick. So I ended up winning uh, some awards for, um, I was the finalist for uh, Licensee of the Year twice. And then uh, as part of that, I then started doing more and more training. So by being the best retail manager at the time, also then meant uh, that the organisation would then send me people to then train. Uh, That then developed from me training individuals to then saying, actually, can you go out and train people? Um, so at one stage, and I still it still makes me laugh. Uh, I had 64 training managers um, that I was supporting uh, and I was looking after and kind of not directly, kind of dotted line reporting into me. Um, and I ended up with West Midlands and South London. I still have no idea how I ended up with that as a split, but I had West Midlands and South London for it. And where I'd go into organisation or go into different businesses that we had um, and look at what they needed to do. To improve that business. Now, often there was an L&D element in there. Uh, from that, I moved into delivering more um, L&D. Um, and then it just progressed there. So it ended up where, with all the with the organisations, they always wanted me to move full-time into L&D because they could see the difference that I'd made. And I'd, I'd opened like sites down in Wembley and some big, huge ones, which, which was amazing. I loved doing that. Um, but then I also like the kind of cut and thrust of running a business and having that direct responsibility for a bottom line. And there's parts that I still miss of that today, just from the wins. But I find wins in different areas now. Um, but yeah, so they always wanted to move into L&D. Uh, I constantly was kind of like, no, I still like running a business, still like running a business. And then it ended up where, in a non-arrogant way, you could have put me pretty much into any business, individual unit, and I'd be able to turn it around. And therefore I thought, it's not that I know everything, but I, there's not a lot more for me to learn. You almost kind of come up that. with a formula yeah. of yeah, and well, just I knew what would make the wins yeah. and how we could do that, and I demonstrated that quite a few times. And therefore, I thought, but there's this whole exciting world of learning development, which I've just kind of skimmed, brushed the surface off, um, and therefore kind of thought, well, yes, I can keep running organisations, and obviously, you know, there's a lot of pain, a lot of good things that went. Or you kind of go, if I step away from that, well, I'm going to have a pay drop. Um, uh, I'm then going to be going into an area where I'm not the best in a, you know there's so much to learn but it's you've just got to go for what you want if that's what you want to do then just drive for it and I said it took me three years and I have to give a small shout out to the SF group because it was the SF group that finally got me in there um, so they got me into my first uh, full-time L&D role 
Um, and I said, there's a pay drop which you've got to account for. There's, it's very different. So you are on the road all the time. And I certainly was there rather than being one place. Um, but if it's what you want to do, then there shouldn't be anything that can stop you. But as I said, it took three years before I managed to actually move full time into L&D because of the constant expectation of, well, this is all you've done. You've only yeah. been a business. And as much as I could go, well, hold on a sec, I've had... I've been delivering L&D, uh, open sites in Wembley. I've turned organisations around or turned all businesses around. Um, again, from uh, when you're going to someone new, and especially from a HR background, they go, well, you know, what have you done from HR point of view? I've had full people responsibility for £8.1 million worth of businesses. Doesn't count for anything because it's not called HR. So I do understand those challenges. So, I mean, a lot of people, you know, three years, you, you have to be resilient to keep... Yeah keep going for three years going right this is what i want to do this you know most people would have given up by 12 months one year in i'd have said and, and gone well this isn't this isn't going to happen you know or the or the would have given into peer pressure with the family and the friends and saying look it's not going to happen just focus on you know the career that you've got um for me it's all about if you can't develop your career develop yourself um and that's and again that's it's not something it's not been a mantra or anything daft like that and certainly wasn't from when I started out but it's just what I've the way I've always done it is what I've always believed so therefore um if there's been times where for those three years where I'd be applying for L&D roles and I'd be looking at full-time roles and I'd be approaching lots of people for full-time roles um it you know it didn't stop me doing it because that's what I wanted to do and therefore, there was nothing that would stop me getting getting into L and D, and then eventually HR. Um, are you, are you back, um, I can, I'm stubborn about if it's something I believe in. <laughs> so whether that's business, organisation-wise, or personally, if it's something that I believe in, then um, it takes a lot to persuade me. Would be probably the nicest way of putting it. You need, you know, you need to have data, you need to have facts, and you need to be able to state your sources <laughs> if you're if you're gonna be wrong on it. But um, but it was very much me. So um I literally, oh my goodness. So th- we had advanced qualifications at the time in license, and I don't know if they're still around in hospitality, but I went and did every advanced qualification you can, every diploma, every professional diploma. Um, and if I think of when I was with Whitbread, um, I'd gone and I was in a non-arrogant way again, I was a great manager. But I was doing things and I didn't know why I was doing them. I was just doing them because it's the right things. So I had spoken to them and they very kindly, they paid for my certificate in management, and my diploma in management, um, uh, and then my MBA. And then in essence, I'd gone to them and said, use me or lose me. <laughs> We've done all this training. Um, so that's all I did was just keep doing more and more um, study, more and more qualifications so that it almost built up my repertoire a little bit. So then when I was going to further on interviews uh, and they said, you know, why do you want to move in? Then I kind of go, well, explain all the reasons that I love L&D and that I wanted to do it. But then be able to turn around and say, and then to support that, I've also developed my knowledge in this, done the qualification in this, done the diploma in this, done this. So they could see I'd not just sat there going, I really want that job. Gosh, I really want that job. Can I ask you something? So do you, do you, do you love learning or have you done it as a tactical initiative to progress your career because I think for most of us um you know as soon as I'd done with uni that was it I was like nah, I'm not learning anything else until I did my CIPD and then once I'd done that I was like, right I'm, I'm definitely not doing anything after doing my level seven that was that was hard enough um but and I think most people have that mindset of going Oh, do you know what? I'll go on the odd training course that my company will put me forward for, but I'm not actively going to go out and, and seek it. But then I do come across the odd person from time to time who, who literally says, I just love learning. And I will, as soon as I finish one degree, I'll start my next degree. And they've got like five degrees just because they just think like, that's almost like their hobby is learning. Um the only and, thing that stops me doing more degrees is the lack of funds. I, I spoke to my uh, my current manager previously, and I just said, "Listen, if I'm still with you after two years, I'd like to go and then do my LLM, so my master's in employment law." Um, uh, so there is there's a big chunk of it is that I absolutely love learning, but it's also um, that's what I mean. I, so yeah, listen to you. Like most of the, the listeners will be going, but "I'm not doing all that." Like yeah, there's there's kind of learning to to prove a point and to help your career but you're doing like excessive amount of learning there so you must obviously just be you must have an intrinsic interest in learning and not just the tactical 
an enabler to sit in front of future employees and say, well, look at all this that I've done. Look what I can bring to you. I mean, that's just a benefit, surely. It's a bit of a mixture. So I probably, I didn't love learning, um, uh, particularly when I was younger. I'd, you know, I've always, I'd love to say that I've been a straight A student. No, uh, I've always been a C, C plus, maybe B, some Bs in there as well and stuff. Um, so I've, I've never been academically high flyer until I got older. And then you can and probably learned to love it as I got older, which is probably when everything, I got much better grades and much everything went up. And I'll probably say I, something yeah. as well, probably because it's a very different environment. It, at school, it's a forced learning, whereas yeah. I think when you do it later in life, it's a chosen Hunger, learning. A, yeah. yeah, and I do think that has, does have a, an implication in it um, for people who didn't succeed at school but do succeed at um studies later in life it's because mm-hmm. they've maybe found the um a, a platform that works better for them rather than being Definitely. in, a, in a, a traditional classroom environment hugely and another key thing throughout is although I'm quite academic I didn't become quite academic till I got older until I was out of school so I'm a huge believer in where you start off does not have to be where you end up so although I'm academic I'm passionate about apprenticeships and always have been uh, because not everybody fits that way of learning um and therefore it's something that all throughout you know i've had 250 apprentices at one stage nationally which was great and then we're fighting to get some more up in scotland um but it's one of those where i have respect for the fact of it doesn't work that way for everyone but for me when you say about somebody who wants to move into a new area or a new direction you go well the course is available but you know i've done what i have to you're not then for me, I turn around and think, then you're obviously not really that passionate about where you want to go. Yeah. Because, um, and that's not decrying. And if there's family or personal reasons or any, you know, if there's other influences and other reasons why you can't do it, 100%, absolutely have no issue with and stuff. But on the same basis, you can't put yourself forward and be saying, actually, yeah, give me that, you know, give me to that senior role, take me into a different area, let me go to somewhere else. If you're not willing to put, your money where your mouth is a little bit and stuff and that's yeah, no, time sometimes needs to be stuff. a little bit of sacrifice doesn't it you can't it does. you can't have your cake and eat it all some people do some people it, it lands on a platter for them and you know they yeah. munch away um some people if i think of doing my msc in the nicer sense when i did the um uh the mba was really tough but when i did the msc uh i got uh, a newborn baby i'd just become a single parent at 10 weeks and i had my daughter on my shoulder uh and i had sat on the floor had my daughter on my shoulder praying she stayed asleep for as long as humanly possible and my laptop next to me typing one-handed because the other hand was supporting the bottom on my shoulder and typing my uh master's dissertation on the other one so it's not Max, uh, there's someone who currently has a full-month old <laughs> and, um, yeah, he's getting about five hours sleep and I, I take my hat off to you for that. That is phenomenal work. It's just one of those words. That it's- and I'm not even the one who's taking the brunt of this. That's my wife. You know, I've, I've got easy street here. Um, so as a single mum doing that and doing um, you, my, oh, fair credit to you. Absolutely. It was just... But it's again, it's down to it's that hunger and that drive. Um, so you know, I'm from I'm from Blackpool originally, I'm from the delights of South Shore, or just off South Shore. So I come from very humble beginnings to a certain extent. Um, and it's it's I don't know whether it's that that in some ways has made me drive and made me more passionate about moving development, but it's one where it's almost like it's not a case of not wanting to stand still because I think there's, you know, I look at roles, some of the roles that I've been into, which haven't been necessarily progressive roles, but there's always been new areas that I've learned and um, new things I've learned during those roles and stuff. So there's always been a benefit to me from it as well. But I just turn around and think if because of how competitive and it's really tough for kids, teens, 20s now to progress um, uh, and to move within organisation, I think in some ways it's a lot harder uh, because if I think of when I got my first degree, uh, there was there was still lots of people getting degrees, but now it's like everyone's got a degree. Mm-hmm. So you almost need to have that master's degree to set you aside from the standard, which is degree. Um, and therefore, for me, I always wanted to make sure that I was doing that constant learning. Uh, and I think to a certain extent, if you look, if you want to progress, whether it's upward into a new, more senior role, or it's into a different area, whether that's HR, L&D, then you have to be willing to kind of 
take those challenges and go, well, actually, no, I am going to be, I've no idea, you know, I've, I finish work at midnight and I'll spend a couple of hours every night after that doing study and then sleep for the other four. <laughs> um, uh, and again, not everyone has that ability and has that time and there's a lot of challenges that go with it. But um, whether you kind of go, actually, I need to take three years due to family life to then just kind of have the stability and then I go back to that or whether you find a way around to that, you can still progress. I just think it's something that you have to constantly do. Yeah, I get, I get that. You know, launched a business just over a year ago, and um, I don't. I, you know, last time I sat and watched telly of an evening, I can't remember. I, one of my greatest pleasures in life used to be come home and of an evening turn the telly on. That was my kind of switch off. <laughs> can't and, do that anymore, can you? No, because I, you know, I I work through the day, um, spend the kind of a couple of hours um, around tea time early evening until the kids go to bed. Um, and then from half eight, open the laptop up again, a couple more hours of work, close the laptop and and start again the next day. And that's the sacrifice I have to make until I fulfill the, the dream of the business being to a certain point that other people can then start to kind of take that off me. But that's because this is my chosen thing that I want to do. That's the sacrifice that I have to make to get to the point until circumstances can change. And I, and I fully take that responsibility and, and, you know, I will carry that. But sometimes you do just have to be prepared that there are going to be sacrifices for you to, um, to reach for the stars, I guess. Yeah. And it's finding that timing that's right for you as well. So, um, if I think of one of the things that I'd said recently about, you know, my daughter, where I am at the moment, roles, in, if, gosh, there's been quite senior roles in central Manchester that I would love and would have been more than capable of going for and delivering on. Central Manchester, with the best will in the world, if someone wants you there from that old nine to five routine, then that's not something I can fulfill as a single parent. So there's times when you do have to turn around and go, okay, yes, I might want that. You know, I might be a HR advisor and go, actually, I really want that HR business partner position. I want to take move to that level. But actually, you may have other things in your life that for the time being, you're just going to have to become the best HR advisor you can possibly be and that might excuse me that might be looking at doing those qualifications looking at outside study and what else you can do with it so that's what that's why I said about even if you can't progress your career you can progress yourself and therefore it might end up being where it's two three four five seven years before you can go actually I can dedicate the time that I need to moving on to that next level but it's finding what's right for you but all that would always say is again back to if you can't develop your career then develop yourself that's a really good point, that actually. Um, that circumstances, you know, family, location, um, all these other elements can come into it. And at certain stages of our lives, the career maybe take, has to take a backseat, or there's limitations around how flexible you can be on location yeah. and hours and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can continue to develop your and build up your skill set and your armory and your yeah. toolkit. And, and maybe just kind of wait it out for the right opportunity to come up that mm. that fits in with your circumstances at that point in time or until your circumstances change and you have that greater kind of flexibility again. Um, it's a really good point, that, of, of, yeah, work on yourself if you can't work on your career. I like that. And if you think the flexibility, the thing that I love at the moment is how the home working has almost been forced. So I've worked private and public sector, and uh, there's always been a – with a lot of organisations, there's always been a level of presenteeism, um, uh, whether that is, you know, sticking to rigid hours. And I love the fact um, that kind of one of the sad things, but positive in some ways from COVID, is the fact of that flexible working and that flexibility around location. Um, and I think that um, that's made a, oh gosh, transcendental decision. That's such a huge change from where it was previously. Um, and it's forced people and organisations to actually go, this can actually work. So actually, and again, you know, if you think of where the HR trends and what's it going to look like in the future, I think that organisational modelling is going to look hugely different. And it's probably one of the biggest jumps uh, progression-wise compared to all the small steps that HR has been doing. It's forced a huge change and a huge jump. And I think that's fantastic. So actually, hopefully certainly kind of moving forward over the next I don't know nine ten years that whole location piece will become irrelevant mm, because yeah. you won't need to have that and I think yeah. that's great for the kind of generations coming up yeah cool right I'm gonna 
make an executive decision. We're getting back on track here because okay. uh, I knew we were going to do this. Um, we just again for the listeners, when me and Max chat, we can usually lose an hour or a couple of hours just chewing the fat on stuff. And I've got to keep this to an hour and we haven't even started yeah. in the HR career yet and we're half an hour in. So saying you got your first HR job. So talk to me now. Let's get into your HR career. But what I want, what I want, bleh, I can't even talk. What I really want to kind of get from you is what makes you super at HR. So how we've spoken about you coming from an operational background and understand the fact that you you can read a PL and you understand kind of the the commercial aspects of it all. And that has definitely had a um an element within it. Um but there's there's other stuff that make you good at what you do. And that's what I kind of want to get out of today. So uh, we don't need to kind of go through every single role here because you essentially you joined Arrow. You operate as a business partner, and that and that's really then you've been operating at, at that kind of BP. Yeah, you you kind of transitioned up a little bit more, but you've been operating at this kind of senior um, level. So, so you got this role at, at Arrow. You were there for five years. So, talk about kind of how you developed in that. But then, really, let's get into how you operate as a HR practitioner what what are the methodologies that you apply what are the principles that you apply um to be effective at doing the job because that's what the listeners will want to do they're interested in kind of yes you know you went from this job to that job but it's about the the what's how's why's you know that's what this podcast is about is it's getting the insights from you that enable other people to go oh, okay that's how she does it right can i can I adapt how I operate and pull in kind of some of these ingredients I'm listening to from these, these podcasts. So that's kind of where I'd like to kind of go okay. with this, if it's okay. So, so you went to ROXL um, for the listeners, what, you know, what type of business is ROXL? Okay. So um, ROXL is logistics. Um, so uh, moving from uh, hospitality, which had been even moving to my first HR BP role in uh, hospitality, then logistics, obviously, hugely different. But what was great is um, from going in, it used to be part of Yodel, for those who don't know our Excel. So it was part of Yodel. Yodel then became Yodel Excel, so the two-man delivery side. Uh, and then they became a sister company, um, so formed our Excel. So Yodel Excel turned to our Excel. Uh, and then eventually have separated, um, as far as I know, from Yodel altogether. But so if I think of when I went in, um, when I first joined, we already knew uh, the business was significantly making a significant loss. And there was a, um, a multi-million pounds that we needed from the shareholders uh, to start with just to keep us afloat and keep us moving forward. Um, we were very fortunate there that one of the biggest things that we did is we had um, a CEO who came in who was from Marks and Spencers. And the biggest change was bringing somebody in who had an understanding of what customer really is. Um, uh, and then that kind of that started that cultural shift that we needed to make. Now, the part that I played and kind of where I came into that is rather than going and thinking, I know what an organization needs and this is what we should do, was then standing back and going, OK, let's look at what are the biggest challenges. So not looking at it from a people in a HR point of view, but what's the biggest challenges that the organisational has? And then how does that link in to the people side of it? And then starting with what those challenges are, how does that link into the people? And then looking at how you can then support the organisation to then deliver and make those changes and all that kind of leading to bottom line, but all the change it needs to make, especially culturally, so if I think of um, when I got in, it was leading the internal communications and employee engagement side of it. Um, and at the time, uh, I wasn't a specialist in that area. Uh, but what I did do was make sure I became a specialist in that area. So if it ends up where there's an area of an organisation that you're currently looking after or you get asked to look after or lead, then even if you don't know everything about it, don't let that stop you. But then make sure that you learn everything then. Go out there and read all the material that you can find um, and then see what you can come implement. And the way that I've always worked is almost come up with lots of different business options and then go to my stakeholder group and say, find out what they want to achieve. Look at the options that would then let them achieve the goals that they need to achieve. Because my role is to facilitate that through the people side of it. Um, and then go back with a range of options. 
purely because um, I don't ever, or I rarely think there's one exact right answer. But being able to go back and go, this is the ones that I think will work. And I do this with employment relations advice. This is this is the range of options that we can do. Which of those is the one that you think will is, will give you the ends that you want to what you want to achieve? Where did you learn that from? I've never I've never heard anybody do that before. Um, probably from from managing businesses. So because I ended up getting dropped into all sorts of business all over the country, and then going fix this for us <laughs> then therefore rather than going in and going oh i have all the answers i know exactly what we need to do then because every business is unique so if i think of oh gosh places down in taunton so taunton in somerset i absolutely love it down there uh, but there's something called taunton time which is about 20 minutes behind everybody else and it's an accepted fact down in taunton so whereas i tend to be quite punctual and quite driven i have to uh, when i was done i had to learn to accept that it doesn't necessarily work that way down there um, and I love Taunton that's not knocking Taunton it was a everyone said to me when I got there there's Taunton time didn't mean anything to me but then learned what it was so but and that's kind of what made the difference is rather than me thinking I have all the answers because you don't and you shouldn't be expect yourself to but being able to go even if I don't have all the answers I've got a good idea and I'm going to go and find you a lot of answers and then we can then look and then discuss it um, and that's kind of and it's probably from doing those businesses looking at so many different businesses and knowing there's not one right solution and that I don't have a perfect answer every time what I can do is come back and go this is a range of what I hope are perfect answers how does that fit with what you want to achieve okay. um, are you are you quite kind of transparent about saying I'm not the expert in this but I will become the expert and then going away and doing your research and coming back with the options or do you, not, do you go of course I know that not necessarily a job interview not necessarily a job interview would I I wouldn't lead with the fact of you not being an expert in the area um uh but again because of the range of different areas of HR that I'd worked in. Um, and the, again, it's back to that knowledge. I know that I can, um, as a child, I was hyperactive. So there's an element of ADHD with me. Uh, and therefore, which makes me very active, very quick and very moving at pace and at speed. And therefore, I know that if there's an area, partly I'd see it as my own challenge of actually, I don't know about internal communication. So I'm now going to look up and become an expert very rapidly in it. So part of it was a challenge that I'd set myself to go actually. And it, some of it was about developing me, but also it was develop, delivering for the organisation and for the business. Because, again, it's back to, in HR, that's what we're there. From, from my perspective, we're there facilitators. We're there to support an organisation to be the best best model of itself that it can be. Um, and that's kind of why I did it. So I just went in. But I would turn around and say, um, you know, gosh, if I think especially progressing fairly rapidly into so many different roles and levels within HR, then having the ability to understand what they're talking about so no before I go into those meetings if we're looking at different communications channels what's a communication channel what's a, what's a UU a unique user when we're looking at some of the social media stuff now so is if I don't know before I make sure I know or at least have a level of understanding before I go in uh, then see what the organization wants and then go away start looking that up and then kind of go okay I need to know a lot more about this area I need to have a much better understanding of how you do this um, so that very rapidly I can go back in and say listen these are your options within there this is the benefits of them this is the pros and cons of them which one of those do you think they had I'll always go in with the preferred option for myself that I think will work but when you're saying about am I stubborn um, I go in with my preferred option, but actually, again, if that's not right for the organisation or that stakeholder, then what you do need to do is either bring them around to your idea or actually accept that they may have a, better, a different idea that would work better for them. But it's partly their responsibility, but it's also your responsibility to have an understanding and be able to go with those options in the first place. It kind of starts to fall into that kind of um, negotiating and influencing element as well, doesn't Absolutely. it? And, and, you know, if you can go with options and then they feel... Um, partly it's a bit like engagement you know hmm. um don't don't go out with a um a, a process but um involve the stakeholders in the decision making around it and actually then you've got that back you know it's that principle of getting them bought into it very early on by helping or um giving them a, a seat at the table in the decision making hmm. and then because of that they then have an invested interest in it and it's more likely to succeed kind of with their them on board it will. And again, some of the biggest things that I learned, um, and I would absolutely encourage anybody working in HR and who's looking progressing in HR today, is when I started off working in HR, I had a level of fear about the stakeholders. They were gods. 
there was these people called directors. Um, and directors was, a short, was the long version of the word God. Uh, and therefore, and they almost didn't engage with them particularly, which is insane when I look back on it now, but because I was intimidated, I suppose, to a certain level, and especially when you're, again, working through those HR tiers, um, is there is that level of intimidation and the level of, you know, there's lots of layers and, you know, they report into more, you know, there's uh, they have people who report into them who are much more senior than me in the first place. But actually, if I think of pretty much every director I've ever worked with, they have always been forthcoming with advice and support. I think there's very few of them, time dependent, obviously, um, who will just shut off and kind of, no, you shouldn't be speaking to me about that, you're the wrong level. Um, and, and again, so some of the biggest things that I learned is one about that stakeholder engagement and don't be afraid to speak to them. Don't be, if, if you're looking at uh, looking at uh, sales and therefore supporting um, uh, a sales team or um, a commercial function, then don't be afraid of speaking to anybody within that commercial function, 100%. Um, Think about your communication style and think about um, I'm very much conscious of my personal brand and therefore think about what they're going to take away from that communication you have with them. But don't let any sort of fear factor or any hierarchy factor um, stop you from making those uh, relationships in the first place. And probably the second biggest thing I learned was um, from going into board meetings and taking a caning (laughs) in the nicest sense, uh, where you've gone in to do a pitch for something uh, and then get bombarded with questions or challenges in that meeting. And again, one of the biggest things that I learned, and again, it was with Arrow, was... um, Someone said to me about going and speaking to individual directors before you go into a meeting. Now, whether that's a director and sitting at board level or whether that's a operational, locational, regional meeting is having those conversations, especially if there's a pitch or you're wanting to deliver something or to land something successfully. Then it's going in, speaking to them individually beforehand, sending that information over um, so that then when you go into the meeting, one, you've dealt with all the challenges um, because you've had that dialogue, you've had that communication with them. And then when you go in, it tends to be more holistic challenges or maybe some of the more senior challenges that you may have but it's a much easier ride and it's a much easier to land whether that's a pitch or a different area or something that you want to introduce uh, then again what I'd absolutely say is choose some of your key stakeholders have those conversations before you go into a boardroom when everybody's sat in there yeah okay I know there's one thing that you are going to want to mention on this that we've we started this story just then and, and kind of drifted off. So let's come back to it. So you were talking about engagement at Arrow um, and and you, I know that you'll want to kind of say the, the impact that that engagement project that you've led on, what it, the impact that it had on the business. So do you want to kind of just talk briefly about that? Yeah. Well, what we looked at is again, when you're looking at cultural change um, it's almost by default, I've ended up, a little bit of a specialist, really, a specialist in that area, is when you're looking at cultural chains, then everything that I've seen is driven uh, by communications, 100% communication, um, and looking at what you could in place, how you can improve that communication to then help drive that cultural change. And a lot of the time, especially in private sector, in all honesty, that's about openness. So if I think of some of the first challenges that I'd had was I was saying about um, actually explaining to all of our employees, whether you happen to be a a truck driver or um, working in the warehouse, actually where we were financially. And I know at the time, um, and Sarah Reddy, who was the finance director there, um, no doubt will we'll remember kind of going why we're not going to share that information with them. And there was almost that um, expectation they wouldn't understand it. Um, and therefore going out and actually going, this is where we are. This is how we need to move. And having that open dialogue, having those forums, having that um, getting people kind of whether it's HR or other functions out on the shop floor, speaking to people who do the job day in, day out, again, is is huge and absolutely starts making that cultural shift there. Uh, And again, if I think of our engagement surveys, um, and I'm passionate about engagement surveys, and not everybody is, but I'm hugely passionate about engagement surveys, just because I quite often will hear where um, directors will um, turn around and say, but we we can't do everything. So they're going to ask us for things that we can't do that shouldn't stop you then doing any sort of survey or getting information or having those conversations because there will be things on there that you can deliver 
uh, and which will make a difference sometime instantaneously to people's lives. One of the best things that we did with Arrow was bringing apprenticeships. So um, I brought in, um, it was pre-levy, brought in apprenticeships um, uh, there, ended up with 200 for nationally. Scotland weren't doing apprenticeships at the time, so we got SBQs brought in there. But the one of my best anecdotes, most loveliest feelings from that, is I had uh, a chap who I think was 62 at the time. He was doing his functional skills. Uh, and I always remember he'd passed his functional skills in maths and English. And we had people that at the time we didn't realise couldn't even read or write because they were using handheld devices. So you didn't need to read and write. So it was only when we started doing this, we discovered this. Uh, and one of the best ones is I went down on the day they were all getting told uh, whether they passed or, or not these functional skills um, and went down to the group to say huge congratulations because I was so proud of these guys. And they range from, gosh, probably chaps in their 20s through to, I said, those in the 60s. And I went up to um, this guy and said, who I think was about 62, 63. Um, who, and I said, oh, are you going to phone your wife? And he said, I'm not phoning my wife. I'm going to phone my mum. And oh. I think that was just seriously left me with a definite end that will always stay with me because for him to have got to that age, his mum yeah. still be alive and the one person that he wanted to make the difference to. But again, that friendship was all that's just give me tingles a little bit. Uh, it was uh, I was I was blown away just because I'd not expected him to say it. Um and I can see your eyes. That's what I was like as well yeah. at the time. <laughs> uh, do you know um, what I love, I love I, yeah. This is the thing about obviously I don't operate in HR anymore, but I mm. Sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll just share a story with me. And and I just, I, I love that you can have this impact on people's lives. Like I get to do it, like um, telling someone that they've got a job and and, and some people it's, it's, you know, it's, it's functional. It's just times men that they're looking for a new role and hearing what they've got an offer. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And other people, you know just how much that means to them. And, and that's what, you know, that's what makes my job completely worthwhile. It's, it's, that's why I love helping kind of people at the entry level getting into HR because I know how much it means to them. Um, and it's, it's hearing stories like that where mm. it isn't what we tend to think of HR about. You know, we, we, we still kind of coming out of this kind of compliance um, mm. uh, kind of almost perception of what, what HR is and, and then we're kind of trying to drive it into actually it's an out it's a value add function but when we can kind of take a step back from all that and, and look at we're dealing with humans you know we're dealing with people and and there's billions of us on the planet we're all different but when you can then really just impact someone's life through what you can do as an employer Mm-hmm. Jesus, doesn't that just make you feel amazing? Oh, you know that that story is stuck definitely. with you now. What a decade okay. or so later, yeah. yeah. And you'll you'll always remember that because mm. you touched that guy's. You did something for that that guy and, and many others. Um, but yeah, to get to sixty, imagine getting imagine getting sixty two and not being able to read or write, and then suddenly you're kind of given that opportunity to, to do so mm. um, or, or kind of whatever it may be. You've just, you've helped someone's life in some way. And yeah, it's just magic. It really is. And it, I, the thing for me is as much as, you know, when we're talking from a professional organisational perspective, then, uh, you know, I'm proud of, gosh, I'm proud of, 95 99% of the things that I've delivered for organizations I really am and again you know if we're talking big strategic changes and like leading HR functions um then absolutely there's a lot of differences that I've been able to make within organizations and a lot of that has been around the well-being and certainly mental health side of it as well um as well as learning development uh, as well as kind of the structural changes as well that goes in there for roles but the thing that always sticks with me is the people side um and you know there's there's ones where gosh, people who were going to get uh, disciplined, who were very high performers, but were going to get disciplined, who actually turned out to be of ASD. So whereas they thought that actually when they were speaking to clients, um, then uh, they were being rude or they weren't very much a people person. They couldn't do that client relationship management that people do. And to the extent where they were nearly going to get disciplined potentially out of the role, then actually we found out they had ASD. Uh, people that had found that have been sleeping in their cars outside places because they've had nowhere to live were kind of throwing them in your car, driving them to Asda, spending £50 buying pants 
leggings best tops for them mm-hmm. whereas from an organizational perspective the instant reaction was actually they haven't shown up for work today they hadn't shown up for work because they'd started living in the car and they didn't have an alarm didn't have an alarm clock in the car so therefore couldn't get into work but then actually looking at what's behind that and i think I would always, if someone had said to me about social science and the psychology of science previously, I would always just been like, no, I'm a chemist at heart. It's hardcore. It's it's inorganic chemistry. You know, all my other stuff that I did was on the inorganic side and dyes and all of that sort of thing and uh, extracting uh, extracting metals (laughs) from waterways and stuff. And I would always have... um, uh, probably been a little bit disrespective of social science and the psychology side of it. And then it's only kind of when you moved into HR where you can having an appreciation of the dynamics and the psychology for people and that everybody's lives may not be as good or bad or as yours um, gives you a real appreciation of actually the value of the job you do. And it's as much as is bottom line, it is what you can add to an organisation, the difference that you can make to someone's lives actually is what will stay with me much longer than whether or not I made a business successful. Yeah. Max, right. We're, we're virtually at an hour and we've, touch the very top of the iceberg here i think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to put a pin in this and come back for a part two at some point because we haven't even got into like the all the other stuff but i mean i mean i think what we've covered has been great um i think people will listen to this and and instantly know like you're a multifaceted highly intelligent commercially minded hr professional and you know i i know you um i think you're amazing i'm glad i hope now people also are aware of you and and that this has raised your profile a little bit yeah. um but we're definitely gonna have to we're gonna have to revisit yeah. this because i think there's there's a there's oodles of stuff we've not even covered that that you and i have spoken about that i thought we would have got to today and we just we've run out of time um so we just look at the stuff. Sorry, I just look at the stuff where you know when you say around thing. If you think we've probably only covered up to what year is it? Up to yeah, up to about five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you all the stuff now from kind of oh gosh, where having organisations where they've been in four different parts and bring how you bring all of those together, how you set up central HR from uh, well, just to give the listeners for the an police. example, <laughs> tell, tell tell the listeners what you've just done so you're working at Lancashire uh, Council at the moment yeah. what, what's the kind of big project that just, you've just done that we've not even got even close to talking about and that was literally children's social care so about a thousand heads uh and um uh leading the change with regard to restructuring that entire organization uh or part of the organization uh and then how we've delivered that excuse me, delivered that and within, uh, we did that in three months, which I still think is insane. It's ridiculous. Um, which is an insane for a thousand pound, a thousand head change. Uh, in and literally, public, said we started, in the public sector. In public sector well. uh, and literally started in that in September, beginning of September, um, and then had to have all the figures, theoretically establishment changes and establishment figures, everything done uh, by, I think it was about the 4th of December, something like that. Um, so, and just kind of how we've managed to do that and support the organisation um uh and support the individuals who are having to deal with that change and how things that we've done there to help do them as well so we've got all of that and so about the listeners, police if you've liked Seriously, what you've heard so please. far then please tune in for part two that's the that's the trailer <laughs> of what's going to be included in part two which will be at some point in the future yet to be determined but honestly um there's so much more to kind of talk about in terms of what you've done um that we're gonna have to do, we're gonna have to get we'll you back on. We will visit. We will. And, we'll be more and, focused. And could, we definitely focus. No, on the we will because we never are. Um, yeah, I know what our chats are like, so I know we won't be more focused. I'm just hoping that we don't need a part three to finally get it no, over the we're line. Definitely gonna be part two. Cool. Right. Um, yeah, I'm not. Do you know? I'm not going to ask you what advice would you give to the young geeks. We'll do that at the at the next one. Um, I think just people will probably just be able to take loads of snippets out of what we've spoken about so far. But I'll just say thank you for coming on for part one. And yeah, let's, let's, you and me will catch up offline and, um, and talk about part two further down the line. Um, in the meantime, are, 
are you okay for people to kind of connect with you on LinkedIn and if they've Please got do. questions uh, or absolutely whatever so there's two uh, I'm on LinkedIn so um, I think it's under Maxine J Blake so more than welcome please come and find me um, uh, I do do a level of advice anyway over messages and stuff so people always come and ask and advice and you know share stories always happy to uh, and then also part of the HR ninjas so anyone else who's a, a ninja out there as well then uh, obviously um, more than welcome to connect on there whichever way you like fantastic fantastic right Max, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Um, I know you and me will speak anyway, but yeah, yeah, thanks for coming on. And and listeners, well, we'll keep your data whenever part two will be at some point. And there we have it. Another show done. Thank you for listening. If you do enjoy the show, please do like and review it on whichever platform it is that you listen to your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, um, also why not tell a friend as well get them involved share the wealth around um, feedback is greatly appreciated as well you can um, reach me on LinkedIn any feedback is really really appreciated because that goes back into helping the show be what it is that you want um, and I can tailor it to make sure that I'm asking the questions that, that you guys think are relevant but thanks again and see you next week This podcast is brought to you by Hire People, a recruitment agency specialising in the HR and marketing professions. I've been an internal recruitment manager and a HR manager using the services of agencies, some good, mostly poor. I've also been a job seeker who has been on the receiving end of poor service from every recruitment agency I've applied for a job through. It left me feeling despondent, non-supported and like a statistic. So I decided to do a Gandhi and be the change that I wanted to see in the world. Hire People was born from that desire to not only run a recruitment agency that has standards, but continuously drive those standards higher. This has come by offering a market-leading six-month 100% rebate, the innovation of a 3D CV concept that provides a video summary as well as the traditional CV for each candidate, and we place the focus on service, not sales. So if you're interested in working with us, Get in touch and let's see how we can help you.